0: Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks Podcast. I'm your host Ben Kreider and today I'm going to be talking about the Thunder versus Clippers game, the main takeaways, the main stars, and I'm going to be honing in on Darius Baisley. It's been an ongoing story for a little bit, so I'm going to talk about it today and also I'm going to give you guys a very special offer from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook, so you do not want to miss out on that. But just starting things off, this Clippers game right here, I mentioned it in the preview yesterday. This is one where, you know, the Clippers aren't coming in at full strength. They don't have Kawhi. That's kind of a given. He's gone for the year. And they don't have Serge Ibaka. That's the big one. And they also don't have Marcus Morris. So you take away kind of their first wall in terms of the front court. That's going to damage them. That's going to put them to a spot where they're out here giving major minutes to guys like Isaiah Hartenstein, who truthfully don't play that much anyways. Uh, And then Zubac, of course, he's a pretty solid center, but it really weakened them and it weakened the depth. So it made it a team where I thought they could have been pretty damn vulnerable, and then for the Thunder, they did have one major loss in Lou Dort that meant uh, in the starting rotation. Mark Daigneault had to make some pieces fit together that typically would not. He decided to go a bit taller than usual. He put Bays at the three. Obviously, that's where Lou has been the entirety of the season. And then he decided to put Jeremiah Robinson Earl at the four and Derek Favors at the five. So that was the starting lineup for the Thunder. And then with the Clippers... You know, kind of same old, same old. They got Reggie Jackson, Eric Bledsoe has that addition, PG-13, Nicholas Batum, and Zubac rounds things out for them. But when you get the game going, OKC looked extremely nice in their new lineup. There was first a six-foot bank shot from Darius Baisley, and then they just went right to the pick and roll. They got a 9-5 to opening run, and it was pretty much just operated by SGA he'd take it at the top of the key get a high ball screen and he'd just pick apart the defense he had an inside layup he ended up getting Derek Favors was out there he rolled inside for one of his baskets and then he actually popped out for a three that's his first three we've seen in a Thunder uniform from him so it was big so the offense was really running at its highest to open a game at least from what I've seen in the first six games and then you move on to the game kind of going back and forth la they kind of struggled though it was just more or less if okc could continue to pile up those punches clippers they started the game one of 16 meaning the door was wide open for the thunder you know if they decided to take those strides and they did get another one actually darius Baisley got six consecutive points jeremiah robinson earl also went inside for a pretty nifty floater and they had a 17-8 to lead. And it only got better on the next possession. SGA strolls up the court, gets another driving finish. They got a double-digit lead at 11 in the first quarter. And I gotta fact check this. I believe it's true, though. I don't think the Thunder have had a double-digit lead in the first quarter in this season. And then even when you want to stretch back to... Uh, You know, last year, I think it probably was a a little while ago since that happened. We saw them get that 15-point lead uh, earlier on in the season in the second quarter, but nothing this soon. So they felt really good, and they were just kind of feeling each other out for the remainder of the frame. So LA, they were in that slump, like I mentioned, 1 of 16. uh, OKC kind of ramped things down a little bit, and they finished the frame up 9 points, 23 to 14 OKC shot OK from the field, 40%, like, exactly. That's not too bad, of course. And then you look at what they do from distance. It wasn't impressive. They were just 2 of 7. That's 28%. And then when you look at what the Clippers were doing, they were just bad all around. I talked about the bad start. They finished it a little bit better to get it back to single digits, but they shot 6 of 27. That's 22.2% repeating. That's absolute garbage for a quarter. Just in general, that's garbage. And then it got even worse from 3. They shot 1 of 12 baskets were just not going in their favor and you know I was listening to some of the away broadcast team for some of this game and they were just really really confused because the Clippers were getting good looks in this first quarter just kept rimming out they're talking about you know where the kind of the home court rolls I guess you could put it they just were non-existent and then for the Thunder I don't think it was more uh, just a soft touch. They were just getting good inside looks. They kind of were reaping the rewards of those drives. They easily had eight in the quarter. SGA was feeling it, and it could open up some seams out into the mid-range and the three-point land. And to open the second quarter, OKC continued to put on some pressure. They had the Clippers actually change their lineup to match what the Thunder were doing. OKC rolled out a small ball starting five for the second quarter. And for the Clippers, they had to match it. They downsized. Zubac got scrapped. They didn't have a real traditional power forward either. Justice Winslow, a small forward, had to play center to begin the second, just because the speed and the you know pace and space play that the Thunder were operating under was killing Zubac and company there. So they get Winslow in and. It was not great. Now, Paul George, he ends up hitting the first basket in the quarter. That was his first two points he had in the contest. But then OKC got right back in action. They had an 8-0 run, 15-point lead. Alexei Pokashevsky was the main aficionado in this one. He just goes right out, gets five straight points. And this is not the first time this has happened. I think this is his third time in six games. We've seen a batch of five come out of nowhere just gets right around the basket, and then he has a 25-foot pull-up, has a tip-in, so I guess scratch the, the layup, it was a tip-in, guess if you want to group it in the same category, but gets those two major shots, and for the Clippers, they couldn't guard him, you know, this is a 7-foot tall, I don't want to say string bean, but he's a pretty skinny dude, just lanky, getting right around everybody, both on the outside and the inside, so it was a major issue and then on another play, Poku drives in, starts around the top of the key, but he kind of wavers more towards the left elbow as this play breaks down, but he's slashing in, he's got the hot hand, they don't want to see him drive inside, so they double team him as he hits that left elbow, and instead of trying to create a shot, like trying to do a hop step or something to create room, he throws... A hook pass, left-handed, by the way, left-handed hook pass over four outstretched arms, dials up a wide open, I think Muscala it was out there, and then Muscala just had to make a simple extra pass, got it to Teo Maladon in the right corner, and he swished the three-point shot, and that was the big highlight you got out of the second quarter. Whenever you see that, that's when you go to Twitter, you start going crazy, Even I had to get included on my Twitter feed. I mentioned some analogy like Wiggins always goes off against the, you know, the Thunder. And then for Poku, he goes out in the first eight minutes of play with seven points and that crazy assist, you know, he had 29 points in the season finale last year. They can just never get rid of him, but he was beasting and feasting Clippers. They just continue to be in the conversation, but not really just more or less wavering around that 15-point mark, so they couldn't break the seal of double digits. And to make it even worse, Poku, a couple plays later, just straight up destroys a fast-break opportunity, goes up for a layup, um, and I think it was Eric Bledsoe went up with it. But anyways, Poku just comes from behind, pins it up against a glass, crazy stuff was coming from him, and it was pretty, pretty ugly. Also had a couple free throws that went Poku's way uh, by the five-minute mark. So Poku, at the five-minute mark, was getting pulled. He was kind of just casting into the shadows a little bit. So the Clippers, they didn't have that number one target uh, to kind of be picking out. And that helped them in the long run because when Poku fizzled out, there was really no secondary option for OKC. And even with some open jumpers, again, Clippers kept missing shots. It was a two-way street. OKC looked pretty bad to close the half out anyways, um, but there was really no push until the final two minutes. And the final push came from the Clippers. They had a 10-3 run in the closing moments for a single possession game. But Josh Getty did push it up to six with a left wing three. You go right back to the other end and it's still action-packed for the Clippers paul george ends up getting the basketball at the left baseline he just gets right by Baisley. and as he's attacking he's going for a jam jeremiah robinson earl was just not about it so he fouled him inadvertently hit him in the eye so he was down for a bit he wanted a flagrant one did not get it he went up to the charity stripe and hit them both and then there was more or less silence i will say though the final play of this half was so crazy to watch josh giddy takes it from the other iron he has to go full court in 4.8 seconds he does he crosses the timeline and then he guns a pass over to SGA in the left corner and he is straight up smothered this is a pass that honestly I don't think you should be too well you should be impressed because it went right to SGA however uh in a normal situation I don't think there was enough time to make this pass Giddy since he zipped it so well got it to SGA with 7.7 seconds remaining and he just had to throw up a prayer, sent up a moonshot, and it almost went in. It rattled around the rim like seven times. Kinda did the thing where it hit the inside of the front iron, went back to the backside, just ping-ponging around. It didn't go in, but if it went in, that should have been a sports center play. Uh anyways though, OKC goes in a halftime up four, 44 to 40, and OKC, the big deal was just the shooting. They shot 40% in the first quarter. Did not look good in the second quarter. Ended up finishing 17 of 50 through the first half. That's 34% flat. And then when you isolate things to the perimeter, they shot 5 of 22. That's 22.7% not too good. I will say though, OKC did a pretty good job in the first half, just finding the number one option and sticking the basketball to them. Darius Baisley kind of became the front man in the first quarter. He looked okay. You know, sometimes he have open passes, sure, but he wanted it for himself. He looked great finishing around the basket, had eight points in the first quarter. And then Poku, like I mentioned, he finished the uh, second quarter With nine points. So you already get 17 points through those two, and then you kind of work out the rest of the wrinkles. So they look good to stay on the hide side there. Now, when they weren't hot, it was pretty, pretty ugly, but they could kind of piggyback off of those hot streaks. And for the Clippers, they really didn't have that. Now, Trey Mann did technically lead the game, he had 10 points at halftime, but outside of that, it was bad, because they were entrusting guys like Paul George. Makes sense to put the basketball in Paul George's hands. He had 42 points in the last game, 41 in the second game of the season. He was 1 of 9, though, for 5 points by halftime, and it led to some pretty ugly play. They shot 15 of 50, that's 30% in the half, and they shot 3 of 21 from downtown, 14.3%. They could not buy a basket and their point distribution was kind of just a straight-up mess, because you have Paul George shooting, Trey Mann, or Terrence Mann was the only real guy out there, I don't know why I said Trey, Um, but yeah, like, it was pretty, pretty bad, and it was a hard watch, uh, seeing some of those looks just not go in for the Clippers, you take it, though, as a Thunder fan, but you go into the second half, and it's just back and forth. Josh Giddy did have a highlight kind of intertwined there, though. So he drove in from the foul line, took two clippers in on a moving spin, and hit a left-handed layup on both of them. And then on the following drive, another big play came from Jeremiah Robinson Earl. He stole the ball from Paul George in the half court and took it. He was looking to run. Throw down a jam on the other side, but Paul George was not about it. He instantly just grabbed around Jeremiah. That's going to be a clear path foul on any day of the week, so he we got two free throws. Hit one of them, missed the second, but they obviously get the basketball back. Got a really nice 7-2 push to begin things, and they had a seven-point lead by the first timeout. Now, the issue you know, after the timeout, Paul George was back in action. He had five consecutive points to make it a single possession game, but then SGA went right back as the team star hit a right-wing sidestep on Reggie Jackson. Giddy gets two free throws afterwards, nine-point game, and then you got the game going back into hijinks as the Clippers kind of reintroduced themselves. But sga was still about it that sidestep he hit beautiful execution on the first one over reggie just get to the right wing make that little slight movement to create the room knock it down does the identical thing this time at the top of the key on luke Kennard. nothing but net baker's dozen lead for the thunder luke Kennard was not happy with this though you know he goes out hits two straight threes right wing dial up exact same setup And it looks like, you know, the momentum could be shifting just a little bit. Then you got Paul George hitting his own three, Three three-point game. You thought you were going to blow this one out when you're up 12 with a red-hot SGA. They get the rhythm, and then you're looking at it as kind of a, hey, you know, the Clippers could take this one. They get another eight points tacked on here, five-point game. Now you're on the outside looking in. They were not going to let that happen, though. Darius Baisley was able to get a shot of his own, SGA had two step backs added to his arsenal, so two trifectas off the sidestep, and then he works on the step backs, gets it up to double digits again at 11, and they held on for a 74-66 to lead going into the final 12 minutes, so an amazing surge from SGA in that third quarter. When you want to break it down, the 23-year-old was able to pretty much carry the Thunder on his back he shot five of seven three of three from downtown in the frame got 15 of the team's 30 points and then on the clippers side it was kind of just a little bit of everybody paul george didn't look good though he had 12 points on four of eight shooting but going into the fourth quarter You just had your eyes wide open because SGA, he's going into the promised land. He's hitting shots that we've seen on occasion, but there wasn't a quarter uh, like the third where he just only looked at threes and step backs and such. So you were looking at the fourth as another platform for him to do so. And then you kind of have the momentum uh, with an eight point cushion on you. You did have PG going off, but it wasn't a major threat to be honest. OKC decided to deploy their second unit to start the fourth. And you can't knock it. You can't play SGA 48 minutes. You can't play everybody in the starting five 48 minutes. But you throw out Teo Maladone, Josh Giddy's kind of the savior out of the starting group. Kenrich Williams is there. Alexei Pokashevsky and Mike Muscala are tossed in. But it was a bad move. After two minutes of really nothing going on, no shots converting. Luke Kennard hit a transition three, very next play Isaiah Hartenstein is taking the ball, coast to coast on a fast break, two on one situation, he's going to fake it like he's going up for a shot, nope, kicks it out to the right corner for a wide open Nicholas Batum, he hits a three, and the game's back to single possessions, 74 to 72, and like Mark should have, he decided to put SGA right back in, so Poku got swapped out, was good, you know, Josh Giddy goes out there, and extends the lead back up to four with a 15-foot floater, and then Mike Muscala got a three ball on the very next play, so it's back up to seven, and this is kind of just that teeter-totter deal of seven points back down to two, seven points again, just that back and forth uh kind of rhythm going on. And PG did that getting five straight again. You did have Tayo though try to resuscitate the thunder. He had a moving push shot that was very wacky. He was driving in uh, from the right side but kind of got stalled. So he goes up for the push shot off balance, banks it in, and then on the very next play, he finds himself in transition. Another awkward play as you know Josh Giddy gets the steal. He's at the back left corner, and he throws a a bounce pass with, like, spin on it almost. And it looked very awkward on TV, but it got the job done. Tao recollects the basketball, and he does that just hallmarked push from behind move. And I don't even know if it's legal anymore. I think if he would have got just slammed from behind, it might have been an offensive foul because you could make a case that um, PG was kind of defenseless in the play, but he does it gets that back down to create some room, and then he's off to the races. Hits a reverse that was a lot more contested than it probably should have been, but it went in to get them back up six points, and they were up 85 to 77. So I guess it is eight points. I did forget that Josh Giddy again hit a pretty big 16-foot pull-up, but this is when the stars get back into motion. You got Reggie Jackson and Paul George, the two main guys for the uh, Clippers. They both hit some mid-range jays. SGA and Josh Giddy were the two guys for the Thunder, and they were just making those exchanges. So Reggie Jackson and Paul George, they were just making those clean-cut jumpers. SGA made it a little bit harder on himself. He had a mid-range spin jumper, and then Josh Giddy got inside for a right-handed layup. Still looking at an eight-point game, though, with four minutes to go, and you're looking all right. Reggie Jackson on the other side gets some free throws, empty possession for the Thunder. Paul George ends up going for a layup right-handed but Baisley swats it almost at the apex so it's not gonna get a goaltend call but it was really really close very athletic play and that's kind of one of those plays where you think momentum is now right back on the Thunder's end uh, and it keeps you at a seven point lead with three minutes to go but then the Clippers decided to go for a timeout and, you know, you're looking to reset the board, at least for the Clippers' perspective. So they look to kill any momentum uh, for the Thunder. They go out again, but they get swatted at the rim with another layup. Reggie Jackson's the one getting swatted there. And then Josh Giddy was able to get a really sweet roll off the free throw line jumper. It's going to count as two points. So you're up nine inside three minutes. You might as well put this one to bed, but Paul George was not about it. This is the heroics that we saw a few times with the Thunder, but he just showed up big. He has the back against the wall. The Clippers are looking to pack their bags with only one win on the season to that point. But he hits two consecutive right wing triples. Strolls up in the half court as Bay's all over him. Does not matter. Swish, swish. You're looking at a single possession game after just 30 seconds of play. And then after a botch Paul George drive, he was hunting for a two. The ball got stuck out. However, George reclaimed the ball, found a wide-open Luke Kennard at the right wing, and he hits it again. What kind of luck is that for the Thunder? You get a nine-point lead erased in damn near a minute, and now you're thinking overtime, but honestly, you're thinking, hell, we haven't scored in like two, three minutes while PG is going out of his mind. Are we even going to get the win on this one? So it's tied. Josh Giddy comes back on the other side and he's patrolling things. And it's very, very awesome to see a 19-year-old, second youngest dude in the league, taking those moments and taking the leaps in the clutch. He's looking to make any sort of move, insert the dagger on the other end, maybe, but he gets stagnated ball gets in Darius Baisley's hand at the left baseline and he just drives right inside gets a whistle off of it a shooting foul and off an unsuccessful Tyron Lue challenge he gets to the stripe for a pair of two shots and of course Baisley going up there misses the first free throw intensifies it and then he hits the second so it's 92 to 91 inside the final minute And Paul George wants the basketball right in his hands again. He takes Darius Baisley one-on-one, gets in an iso spot, finds his way to the 10-foot range and just sticks the shot in, 93-92 for the Clippers, that's the first lead the Clippers had since the opening moments of the game, the Staples Center, you best believe they were erupting, and for the Thunder, straight up demoralizing, they have to call a timeout after that, but they don't, Darius Baisley gets the ball, and he just has a full head of steam, he's looking to get his, he's looking to kind of reclaim what he had, stick it right to Paul George and give the Thunder back uh, the lead, but he he didn't need to do it. He got straight tunnel vision off this drive, and he loses the ball, squanders it, Reggie Jackson finds it, and then he hits a floater. 36.7 seconds to go, and you have the Thunder down three points. The play that Mark threw up, he had Josh Getty throwing in a side out to Mike Muscala. This is kind of one of those plays where obviously the design wasn't for Mike to get the basketball. If you guys remember the 2017 miracle from Russell Westbrook, Steven Adams was kind of just hidden there in the play, uh, more or less to just open things up a bit, like with his body. You couldn't find anybody though, so it went right to Mike. He gives it back to Josh Giddy, and then they find each other again. Giddy hits Mike Muscala at the right wing pretty awkward jumper from him like he's leaning in after he takes the shot he probably jumps forward like three four feet uh needless to say the shot didn't go in and the clippers wound up with the basketball and um luke Kennard hit two free throws so the thunder they just didn't have it at that point time was not on their side sga did make it a bit enticing because he did hit an 11 footer make it a one possession game again Um, but nope not enough time L.A. steals the game 99-94. They end up picking up their second win on the season at 2-4. And And for the Thunder, they're at 1-5. And this game, believe it or not, actually had some implications. And this was a game the Thunder should have won. But also, if you're on that taking camp, you wanted the Thunder to win. Because the Thunder have an unprotected Clippers pick For this season. If the Clippers suck, too bad for the Clippers. The Thunder get that pick. You don't have it laced with protections like we did with the Houston Rockets. And you saw what happened there. They're here with Jalen Green, and the Thunder are left with scraps. So it's not going to happen there. And with the Clippers doing so poorly, you know, a win here would have been monumental and could have potentially swung the Clippers into an even deeper downward spiral. But it wasn't the case. Definitely a heart wrencher for the Thunder. And there's a lot to kind of depict uh, from this contest. And I'm going to get to that in a second. But first, I want to let you guys know about my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook and the offer going on there. The NBA is back. And at DraftKings Sportsbook, an authorized sports betting partner of the NBA, the key to victory is a strong starting five. New customers can bet just $5 on any NBA team to win their game, and if they do, you win $200 in free bets. To make it even better, DraftKings Sportsbook allows you to make same game parlays. Here's all you have to do. Go ahead and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TB. P-N, bet just $5 on any NBA team to win their game, and win $200 in free bets if they win. You win with promo code TBPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an authorized sports betting partner of the NBA. Must be 21 or older in New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required, one per customer, Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com/sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, go ahead and call one eight hundred Gambler. But guys, moving on into the actual contents of this game. This was a heartbreaker. Like I said, the Thunder had this one in the bag almost. They're up fifteen points in the second quarter. They looked really good actually heading into the fourth quarter as well and they had some very solid moments but they end up squandering things and who are you gonna pin with it I'll tell you in a little bit it's not really one direct person but things could have been played out a little bit better from the coaching side I believe and the big issue is just what they did in the clutch I mean the Clippers ended this game shooting seven of ten from the you know from the field and for some of the shots, you know, you couldn't really stopped it, right? Like when PG's in the zone, PG's in the zone. But at least get a hand up, you know what I mean? So they just took it right away off of that. But also, it didn't help that the shooting was poor. They shot 38.9%, going 35 of 90. And then from three, wasn't working either. They shot 11 of 37. That's sub 30, 29.7%. And the turnovers were a key They had 16 turnovers to 19 assists in this game. Actually, scratch it, 17 assists. So the assist-to-turnover ratio was damn near 1. That's not too impressive, to be honest. And 17 assists is far from the benchmark you want to see. 20 is the minimum, in my opinion. And for the uh, Clippers, you know, they had to grind every little inch. They had so many times where they got it to single digits, single possessions even, at two points. And they just got... Kind of just mollywopped. It's backed up to seven points, and they're just kind of gravitating between two and seven. It was a really sucky spot, and they had to hit some major shots to get the victory here. So you have to give them praise. You really do. And a lot of it needs to go to Paul George. This was the clutchest I've seen Paul George in a freaking while, man. 27 points in the second half. I talked about the 12 coming in the third quarter, 15 coming in the fourth, he ends up finishing the game with 32 points, going 11 of 42. You would have thought he had 60 based on what he was doing at the end of this game. It was nasty. And when you look at the actual product outside of the points, he was still a very positive contributor. Nine rebounds, seven assists, three steals, including the big one against Darius Baisley, does it all in 40 minutes. And, you know, it sucked for the Clippers because they were shooting pad, shot 38% in all. And, you know, they were all right from three, shot 35.7%, but it was not pretty from them uh, when you look at the overall shot chart. So if you're looking as to why the Clippers won, it's because Paul George was a beast on offense. There were still some solid guys there. Luke Kennard with the major four threes. He had 14 points in the game. Jackson had 15 points and Batum had 14. But, you know, they weren't all that impressive uh, for the most part. And for the Thunder, They had a lot of glistening spots. The first one is SGA. He goes out, shoots it 23 times, hits 11 of them, and has 28 points on the night. Seven rebounds with only two assists, but honestly, he gets a rain check because the ball should have been in his hands the entire night. He should have been the one taking those clutch shots in the half court. Went three of five on triples, and the sidestep was just lethal. You can put two guys on SGA, it doesn't matter. He's gonna hit you with the sidestep and get it off. I mentioned that SGA's step back is not all that fast. I agree. I don't think uh his step back is fast. I also think the sidestep is not insanely nimble, but he does a very good job at creating the space regardless. It doesn't matter if he's getting eight feet of room off of the initial jump. You know, he could be getting four or five feet like he typically does. But as long as he's comfortable and as long as there's not a heavy contest coming, it's a successful play. And he had a multitude of those during the night. Looked ridiculous. Had not seen that in his bag. Uh, Well, we have, but just to the degree uh, we saw in this one, definitely not uh, in this career uh, that I have seen. Um, The step back has always been prevalent. That one showed up a little bit as well. But this was just a perimeter attack from SGA, and I love it. He was still tapping inside, and he was making defenders second-guess themselves when he did slash in because you didn't know if he was pulling up. You didn't know if he was going in for a layup or whatnot, Um, and he was big in the clutch too. I mean, he had 19 second-half points. Now, does that combat Paul George's 27? Absolutely not, but that's still 19 points he had in 24 minutes, and he didn't even play all 24 due to the rotational management from Mark Dagnault. And when you look beyond him, you know, it does take a little bit of a drop off, but it's still very impressive. Josh Giddy had 15 points, went six of 15, and he was just a beast on all cylinders. Had five rebounds, seven assists, played 35 minutes, earned every single second out there on the court, and he was making use of his six foot nine frame. He blew by Paul George on one occasion. He was blown by the typical backcourt. Uh, from the Clippers like the entire time too that's why PG had to step up and you know I've seen it on Twitter but look at how Bob Cousy dribbles the basketball you look at his ankles those things are going all over the place and he's still able to stay up on his feet and drive Josh Giddey's doing the same thing where his ankles are looking like they should be broken looks like some straight spaghetti ankles you know what I mean so it's very weird that uh, he's able to do what he does in terms of slashing, but it was big. I mean, he was getting passes off. He was getting drives in that you're not going to find really anywhere else on the roster. And a lot of those floaters were just beautiful. A lot more pull ups, though. We saw him in the mid range, actually shooting it a lot more often than what we've seen in the previous five games. So he was a star in the mid range in terms of pulling up or just even doing like spin jumpers, getting really soft touches off the front iron as well. But, um, Yeah, I really want to talk about the passing here because he did lead the team with seven assists and he had multiple two-on-one scenarios inside where he's able to kick it out. I think that's kind of a big deal where every single night there's one or two plays that you look at and you are just wowed by how a 19-year-old can see the floor uh, as he does with the driving dishes and such. And, you know, I think eventually, based on it, we're going to see another double-double in the near future with points and assists. And, hell, might as well add the rebounds in there for a triple-double. So, he was great. Alexei Pokashevsky, he looked good. He had nine points, but he only got to play... A little bit of time played 15 minutes despite the efficiency and he tapped in just about everywhere I mean he was slashing in uh, on and off the ball he had a standing layup in addition to a driving one where he kind of just scooped it up and in hit a three ball went one of two there and um, you know there's a pair of jumpers including that's a one three and then obviously in the mid-range as well so a lot of the minutes got shaved I'll talk about maybe why in a second but Yeah, I thought Poku was great. Definitely could have seen more from him uh, and probably would have had he played a bit more. Now, Mike Muscala and Teo were off the bench were just very, very sour notes to this team. They could not hit anything. Mike Muscala went two of 12 and he went one of seven from three. Now, that one three he hit was pretty pivotal in the, uh, I think it was the fourth quarter to uh, keep it up to seven, but just out of his typical mojo I guess you could say and then for Teo too pretty awkward I mean the two makes that he had inside it was pretty harsh I mean it took a little bit of setup there the difficulty and the degree of them you can't discount it like those were impressive shots Um, but just the overall night for him was also pretty ugly and that's kind of why you kind of saw them dip in terms of uh, efficiency, but other guys you had, Ty Jerome went o of 3, Kenrich Williams went o of 3, and you had guys like Roby just not even play due to coach's decision, I really want to talk about though, Darius Baisley, and Darius Baisley in this game, at the surface level, at least scoring wise, looked pretty damn good, and he silenced some people talking crap during the middle of the game, like I'm not gonna lie, you know, you start going into this little Uh, place where you're saying you know bays might not have it in him and then he hits a three or he dunks on somebody crazy athlete uh athletic play right and you know that's what he was doing has 15 points on the night also couples it up with six rebounds and he does it shooting five of 12 from the field not bad whatsoever goes three of eight from distance and that's also not bad that's 37.5 that makes him one of the top three-point shooters on the team from last night's game only better ones SGA going three of five and then Poku going one of two so in terms of frequency you know you got to tip your cap over to what Baze was doing but he had seven turnovers in this game and when you look at the overall body the Thunder ended up having 16 assists so just doing the quick mental math you're looking at Bayes having close to 50% of the team's turnovers, it's forty three point seven five. If you want to get to the specifics of things, but yeah, like he had a lot of moments where there's a wide open guy from the three. He has a drive inside that you know he probably should have just kicked it back out, reset with SGA or Giddy up top, and he chose not to. He made this game uh, an isolation game, especially in the critical moments where he was looking to make that shot. And look, it's okay right like it's all about the learning here with the thunder currently but you can't be doing that you know you were in a spot not too long ago you're up double digits in the third quarter you're not just gonna let that go away this isn't freaking pickup you know just reset the offense the ball was going to him with some pretty quality looks and he looked good uh, with the three definitely but just too many plays where he had to slash in and try to isolate. And that's not something you want to see. You want to see SGA up top or you want to see Josh Giddey up top. Those are the two proven playmakers. And Darius Baisley has shown flashes, but he definitely did not show it in the game. And when you already have five turnovers, you should not be driving inside. Actually, I guess it was six by the final one. You should not be driving in on Paul George with under a minute left after Paul George just got the team their very first lead of the game. So just, you know, you got to kind of tone it back a little bit. And I will say it kind of became a detriment in terms of him getting it, uh, you know, at the left wing and the right wing because he'd drive inside, but he wasn't necessarily looking to kick it out. He only had one assist in the game. And the 12 shots, you know, that puts him in third place. I guess technically tied with Muscala in terms of field goals with Mike, A lot of it just came off the catch and shoot with Bayes. He was taking it a lot off the dribble and kind of sucks, you know, and the thing with Bayes, people oftentimes just want to bench him. They don't think he's working with the team. And sometimes that's the case. When he's inconsistent, it does um, put him in a spot where he probably is not going to be a net positive, and you might want to throw Poku in there. I'm all for cutting it 24 24 between Bays and Poku. I was vocal about it before the season. I think right now you could still put that into effect, and it'd be great because, you know, both of them are so inconsistent, honestly, that. You, you kind of want to expand it. You know, if Bayes starts out hot in the first eight minutes, keep him out. That's great. But as soon as he starts kind of toning it back, you put Poku in, you let him run with it. If he's not feeling it, great, put Bayes back, uh, back in. But if he is, you keep Poku in until the run stops. And we didn't get to see that in this game. What we got to see was the typical rotation, which, you know, in the closing minutes in a clutch game, sure, put your starters in. You want to get them reps. But. Just looking at it from face value, Bayes has that hot first quarter, but when Poku comes in, he has nine points in a matter of like nine to ten minutes. Keep him in. I know there was a halftime, but you can't leave him with just 15 minutes in the game. He was making it a serious issue for the Clippers. They had to change their defensive scheming around him, and they take him out. They make him a non-factor, and you put Baisley in, who even the Clippers, you know, PA announcers or commentators we're talking about, that's a guy that they said, you know, off the scouting report, you sag off on him. If he's hitting threes, he's hitting threes, but it's not a typical thing for him. You put him in and the the spacing uh, kind of gets changed a little bit. But when Bays got it from downtown, he was looking to slash inside and he was looking to be the main aficionado when he probably should not have been. So this is one of those deals where you know, Baze has been inconsistent, we've known it, you know, that's just one of the deals that we've seen in the last uh, season or two, and there's been a lot of extra uh, opportunities going his way, I mean, he's been starting consistently, starting uh, from last season, and he'd still be up and down, you go into a game like this in the clutch, you know, I think this is one where Mark, you know, could put in Poku, it would make sense logically based on the flow of things, and just see how it ends up, Yeah, you want to give him the late-minute reps, I understand, but I don't know. I think uh, if I was out there coaching, I wouldn't have played Poku 15 minutes, especially after he was the reason they were kind of leading at halftime, you know? So it is a head-scratcher, and it is one of those cases where you can broaden it out. I don't think I am right now, but does he fit in the long-term scheme of things? I mentioned it on the pod where, you know, if Baze isn't a consistent enough three-point shooter, it's going to be an issue because at— maximum, I guess you could say, you can have one dude on the court who cannot shoot the three proficiently. And ideally, that's going to be your center. Uh, Honestly, ideally, you hope everybody can shoot at least from the mid-range. And Baisley has not solidified himself as a shooter just yet. So that already puts you up to what I consider that maximum. And when you have centers right now that are like Uh, a Roby or a favors where you know they might be on or off and for favors he's not really used to shooting from three that gets you up to two and that makes it to where on those dribble drives you just decide to sag off on Baisley and you wait and see what happens and to this point it's worked out fairly well Baze oftentimes has a high output from downtown and the you know when you check out his stats it's not like he's going crazy from distance or anything when you look at his total body. He's shooting 21.6% from three, and that's a red flag. It sucks, and, you know, you kind of get got to go to that point where you got to put your foot down, say, can he shoot, can he not shoot? I think he's been training, but, you know, it's very tough, and with those decisions at the very end of this game, you have to give the ball to SGA. You have to give it to Giddy just this was not a very good performance from him and it sucks because we've seen the highs from Baisley where he's dropping 20 and 10 and he looks like a beast but then you also see the lows like this one where you know or not even this one maybe shooting one of eight against the warriors in the last game and then in this one where you have seven turnovers that overshadows what he did as a scorer and uh, it's difficult because the pacing kind of changes when bays is looking for his own shots uh, and it kind of makes you think, you know, what is the best situation? Maybe you put him with the second unit a little bit, see how it works. I still like the distribution of 24-24. I don't think you straight up cut off Darius Baisley, even though, you know, he has uh, kind of been maybe a a different outlier, I guess, in the starting unit. I don't know, because he does take things into his own hands. It can be for the better or the worse. Uh, but Mark Dagnall should probably look at, uh, at this game from him. I mean, Bayes was good at times, but the closing moments did not make his resume look all that well. He just has to kind of be more of that team-oriented guy, which we've known uh, he can be at some points, but keep kicking it around. And then in terms of three-point shots, you'd, you'd say, you know, take them if they're wide open. Maybe if you're un- uh, unsuccessful, just keep kicking it out. But it's a multi-layered question because if he keeps hesitating and not shooting it that's just gonna incline defenses to not garn him uh whatsoever so could you utilize him more as a cutter i think he's a better cutter and an off ball mover than he is an on ball mover or a catch and shoot guy but sga that's who you're catering everything around and i don't think having cutters Uh, on a five-out offense with maybe a high ball screen trickled in would actually help you that much. I think you want to kind of keep it to just those two guys, the big and SGA driving in, where everyone else is just a really good three-point shooter. So it's a talking point. It's been one that we've talked about probably 10-plus times on the pod since I've started, and I don't think it's going to stop. This was just one of those games where uh, you kind of get a better breakdown of things just because there uh, were a lot of turnovers coming that way could have changed you know could the game have swayed in the opposite direction if bays didn't have those many uh that many sure also paul george wasn't going crazy this wouldn't be that bad but it did sting to see the clippers nab this one up when you're looking towards the future bays will have another opportunity i'm sure of it i'm sure you'll still get 25 plus uh, and they're gonna play on thursday so they get a two-day break they're gonna play the la lakers The Lakers are looking for revenge. This was one of their three losses to this point. They lost to the Thunder at the Paycom Center. Might have LeBron back. They got Russ. They got AD. We'll see how that goes. I'll get you guys the game preview and the recap, like always. And I should have some OKC Blue content on the horizon. But other than that, though, guys, that is going to do it for today's episode. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.